And we're live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Matthew Paris Show. I'm your host, Matthew Paris. Um, before we get started, let's hit that little subscribe button right down there in the corner. It's always a great time here on the Matthew Paris Show. We talk sports. We talk all kinds of sports. We talk college football. We talk NFL. We talk baseball. We talk at all all sports. So, uh, so let's get right into it. The Texas Rangers are now your world champions uh, after being the Arizona Diamondbacks in the World Series, five games to one. Or excuse me, four games to one. Uh, this reported out of Arlington, Texas. They just had their uh, had their um, uh, parade in uh, Arlington. So Corey Seager is the MVP. Corey Seager took the stage to th- thunderous chance of MVP MVP from the Texas Rangers fan. They celebrated the franchise's first World Series championship on Friday. Uh, really, this was truly special. We appreciate all your support. Seager, the second-time World Series MVP, said during the ceremony following a two-hour parade along a two-mile route near the team's ballpark. Um, Arlington Fire officials estimated 400,000 to 700,000 fans attendance in the celebration. Um, Seager then took a swipe at the Houston Astros, the team that took the AL West title from Texas on the final day of the regular season. That made the Rangers a wild card team, and then they set an MLB record by winning all 11 of their postseason road games. Um, I've just got one thing to say, Seager said. You know everybody was wondering what would happen if the Rangers didn't win the World Series. I guess we'll never know, Seager said. Uh, a clear retort to what Astros third baseman Alex Bregman said to start their uh, campaign celebrating when they clinched the division title. Texas beat the Astros in the American League Championship Series, and the Rangers win all four ALCS games played in Houston. Um, fans were stacked dozens deep at some spots during the parade, which came two days after the Rangers wrapped up their World Series title with a 5-0 win on the road in Game 5 against the Arizona Diamondbacks. It came a week after Texas won the series opener at home on an 11th inning homer by Adolis Garcia after Seager hit a two-run homer in the ninth inning to tie the game. Years from now, I'm going to think about this moment and I'm going to cherish the time that I had to spend with these players. Manager Bruce Botney told the crowd. We talked about it at spring training. We're going to do something special. Well, fellas, we'll do something special here. Thank you. Um, let's see here. The Rangers won their first championship in their 63rd season as a franchise, which began as an expansion to the Washington Senators in 1961 before the team moved to Texas in 1972. Um American League Championship Series MVP Garcia, Seager, and all the Rangers players were in the parade through the Entertainment District of Arlington, the city where they play along Interstate 30, halfway between downtown Fort Worth and downtown Dallas. Seager was also the World Series MVP in 2020 when play, playing for the Dodgers, who won that title in a neutral size MLB postseason play during the COVID-19 pandemic at Globe Life Field. The Rangers' retractable roof stadium that opened that season, there was no celebration parade in Los Angeles that year. Uh, let's see here. The Rangers arrived home in North Texas on Thursday with all-star second baseman Marcus Simon exciting, exiting, excuse me, exiting first and hosting the World Series trophy into the air as he stepped off the plane. By that time, some fans were already staking out spots along the parade route. Uh, the Texas Rangers World Series victory is a dream five decades into making, Arlington Mayor Jim Ross said. This is Bachney's fourth World Series title. He won three with the San Francisco Giants, the first in 2010 with a Game 5 clincher in Texas. Uh, Boki was named the Rangers manager a year ago with the team with coming off his sixth consecutive losing season. So, yeah, so uh, 
Yeah, so uh, congratulations to the Texas Rangers on winning the World Series. Uh, the World Series, however, was not the most watched World Series. Uh, it was actually the least watched World Series. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, you know, I don't know what's, what's going on there. Um, I, I like baseball. I love baseball. I come from a family of, of baseball players. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It could be because of everything else that's going on in the world and the way society is now that people just tune out of the World Series. But, you know, who knows? Uh, let's move on to college football. Uh, let's go. Let's see, let's see right here. CBS Sports, Alabama versus LSU. Um, number eight, Alabama soft solidified its grip on the SEC West that kept its college football playoff hopes alive behind the play of quarterback Jalen Milrow in a 42-28 win over number 14 LSU on Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The redshirt sophomore scored four rushing touchdowns while tallying 155 yards on the ground, along with 219 through the air as he played his best game of the season in the high-stakes rivalry showdown. LSU QB Jaden Daniels matched Milrow through three quarters before he was knocked out due to concussion protocol early in the fourth. He accounted for three touchdowns in the game and was again the uh, engine for the Tigers' offense. The Crimson Tide defense eventually came up with some key stops in the high-powered offense showdown that featured 49 first downs and nearly 1,000 yards of total offense. In particular, an interception by Tyrone Arnold in early in the fourth quarter helped set up an Alabama touchdown put the Tide ahead 42-28. Dallas Turner created the takeaway by uh, tri tipping Daniels' pass in the line of scrimmage. Uh, so here's some uh, stats right here. Milrow became the first quarterback in Alabama history to rush for four touchdowns in a game. That's history. Congratulations to Milrow. Milrow's 155-yard rushing were the most by an Alabama quarterback since Tyler Watts ran for 162 yards against South Carolina in 2001. The Crips of Tide have won 35 of their last 36 SEC home games, with their only loss in the stretch coming against LSU in 2019 when the Tigers won the national title. LSU wide receiver Malik Neighbors surpassed 100 yards receiving for the sixth time this season with 10 receptions for 171 yards and a touchdown. Alabama kicker Real Reichard entered with a perfect 15-for-15 mark on field goal attempts but missed two field goals uh, for the win. Uh, what does this win mean for Alabama? Well, let's talk about that. Even with a quality win over a top 15 opponent, it appears unlikely that Alabama will move up in the new college football playoff rankings on Tuesday, given no one ranked ahead of the Tide lost Saturday. While number 7, the Texas Longhorns, looked shaky in the second half of a dramatic win over number 23, Kansas State, the Longhorns own a head-to-head -head road win over the Tide. The result will make it difficult for Alabama to jump Texas in the rankings, so long as both are one-loss teams. But Saturday's win all but assured the Tide of a spot in Atlanta for the SEC championship game on December 2nd. At 8-1, at 6-0 SEC, Alabama has just two league games, both on the road against Kentucky and Auburn. As long as it wins one, Bama will be favored heavily in both. It will represent the SEC West in the league title game. Alabama's closest challenge in the division race is number 10 Ole Miss, and the Tide owns a head-to-head -head win over the Rebels, who must play at number 2 Georgia next week. But even if Ole Miss upsets Georgia, it would need Alabama to lose both of its remaining league games since the Tide owns the head-to-head -head advantage against the Rebels. Um, yeah, so, I mean, let's talk about the quarterbacks here. The quarterback battle was cut short. Daniels and Milrow were locked in a legendary quarterback duel 
when Daniels was forced to exit early in the fourth quarter after taking a big hit from Alabama edge Dallas Turner. Daniels appeared to slam his head on the field as he was driven to the turf. He returned to one pl- for one play, but then exited the game due to concussion protocol. Turner was whistled for roughing the passer on the play, which zapped LSU for its most reliable offensive playmaker. Even when the injury cut his night short, Daniels finished with 219 yards passing, 163 yards rushing, and three total touchdowns. It marked the first time in the last 25 years that two quarterbacks each posted 200-plus yards passing and 140-plus yards rushing, according to ESPN. The Tigers trailed 42-28 when Daniels exited, but they had nearly 13 minutes left to respond. <coughs> Ultimately, they couldn't do it without their star. Yeah. Uh, what's LSU's outlook in going forward? Uh, let's talk about that. Through the loss of all but ends LSU's chances of winning the SEC West, the Tigers could still match their 6-2 league record from coach Brian Kelly's first season if they were able to win their final two league games against the Florida Gators and the Texas A&M Aggies. Daniel's status will loom large for those uh, contests. He entered Week 10 as the highest-rated passer in the sport and ranked as the number eight quarterback in the CBS Sport 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Rankings. If Saturday night's injury and our desire for self-preservation ahead of the draft limits Daniels or keeps him out of the season's final three games, it will change LSU's outlook. Um, ultimately, Dust Bears regarded as one of the college football's more, more capable backup QBs. The redshirted sophomore completed 52 of 84 passes last season for 800 yards with five touchdowns and four interceptions. He was particularly impressive while stepping in for an injured Daniels against Georgia at last year's SEC championship game. It could be time for the Tigers to begin passing the baton to Nussmeyer, who has long been expected to succeed Daniels as a program starter in the 2024 season. Um, so will he? Will that quarterback be the starter of the 2024 season? Uh, looks likely right now. Um, but, yeah, no, it was a good game between uh, Alabama and LSU. Uh you know, I don't think in the rankings that Alabama will jump uh, number seven Texas right now, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Crazier things have happened. Um, I don't think because Texas is close win in the finals of overtime against number twenty five Kansas State, thirty three to thirty. It was. Uh, I don't see them jumping ahead of Texas uh, at any time soon. Uh, Texas will have TCU coming up next. Texas Christian University. Um, so. Uh, Let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about the Texas Longhorns and the Kansas State uh, game. So this comes from two forty seven Horns two forty seven. Uh, you know Texas at one time blew the lead, but they sit in overtime uh, over the win over Kansas State. As the doors to the elevator open, legendary former Texas athletic director DeLos Dobbs said that everyone else was thinking, "I would have kicked it." Texas is sure glad number twenty three Kansas State didn't. The number seven Longhorns escaped what would have been a season-shaping upset by stopping the Wildcats. Six and th- their Wildcats are six and three on fourth and goal in overtime for a thirty-three to thirty victory. Um, should have Kansas Kansas State kicked the field goal. I, I think they should. Maybe you know, I don't know. Maybe send it to double overtime, but we'll see. You never happen. Never happen. Texas, which is eight and one now, nearly choked the game away after squandering a twenty-seven-seven lead with nineteen minutes remaining. Had a missed extra point gone in Kansas State's favor early in the fourth quarter, the game probably never, ever makes it, it to overtime. Yet, when presented an opportunity to save its college football playoff hopes, Texas defense stepped up and allowed those like Dobbs and every member of the media in the press box to question Kansas State head coach Chris Kleiman's decision-making instead of getting uh, roasting its inability to win close games. 
Those moments have not gone well in the Steve Sarkeesian era. The Longhorns were a combined 4-10 and in one-score games during Sarkeesian's first two seasons in Austin. This year's Longhorns set a 2-1 in those situations, a tally that doesn't take into account fourth-quarter victories against Alabama and Wyoming. What could those be a, a contrarian and argue that Texas should have placed itself in position to win a close game? But winners get to write history, and the Longhorns figured out a way to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. When all the moment belongs to the Wildcats, Texas, without starting quarterback Quinn Hurris, toppled the defending Big 12 championships. Uh, excuse me, Big 12 champions. So... Um, it was a close game. Uh, Kansas State maybe should have gone for the field goal to uh, send it to double overtime, but they didn't. They decided to go for it. Texas's defense made a stop. Um, so, yeah. Uh, who knows? We had another close run at College Station, the Texas A&M Aggies. Um, let's see here. They were playing Ole Miss, Mississippi, and they end up losing to number 11 Ole Miss, 38-35, uh, to and another nail-biter. Um yeah. You know, this is reported on Aggie Wire. Uh, is Jimbo Fisher's job on the line? I believe it is now because he's lost a bunch of close games this season. Uh, after the season ends, the Aggies could go and be like, hey, you know, the athletic director would be like, hey, you know, Jimbo, you're out. So um, let's talk about this for a minute. It comes from Oxford, Mississippi. Uh after Ole Miss narrowly defeated Texas A&M 38-35 on Saturday afternoon to keep their playoff hopes alive, Rebels QB Jackson Dart, who threw for nearly 400 yards in the win, took it upon himself to express his deepest feelings concerning a very mild social media troll earlier in the week from several Aggie defensive linemen. And during the after-game press conference, Dart stated, I guess they did not get enough attention from the games they are losing, so it was a good, for, it was a good win for us. Ooh, that shot's taken right there. Shot's fired. Shots taken indeed. Yes, Aggie D-line standout include uh, Fadel Diggs, McKinley, Jackson, and Sherman Stewart. Uh, Join linebacker Edgerin Cooper and freshman Chance Johnson to posting apparently victory arms flexing emoji just days before the matchup. Still, Dart started about the was enough to get the team more focused than ever. Um, the Rebels, of course, got the last laugh in the final minutes of the game, marching down the field with just minutes remaining by way of chunk plays in the passing game, leading the star running back, Quinshawn Judkins, punching in the go-ahead touchdown from one yard out. As many of us have uh, avoided ta uh, taking odd nuism in the past 24 hours, Texas A&M junior defense and Sherman Turner was ejected late in the fourth quarter after striking offensive tackle Mika Pittis in the groin as the trash talking apparently went too far in the heat of the moment. It's not the best look, but hey, it's all about learning from your mistakes and moving on. Texas A&M will return to Kyle Field to take on Mississippi State on Saturday, November 11th. So it was a nail-biter. Uh, let's talk about social media, I mean, uh, in sports. Uh, should have players be eligible to go to social media and post up uh, little things like, you know, taunting the other team and saying, hey, they're going to declare victory. I highly suggest that coaches talk to their players and not do that because it could bite you in the ass uh, later on down the line in the game. This is kind of what happened here. Uh, a few of the Aggies' uh, defense posted up uh, victory, uh, flexing the flexing their arms, talking about victory over uh, Ole Miss, and look what happened. You know, number 11 Ole Miss beat them. I mean, it was a close game, but they beat them. So, uh, so yeah, players need to think about that in all sports. Need to think about posting anything on social media saying that, hey, we're going to beat this team and then the other team. Although that has been going on for many, many years. 
um, even when there was no social media. Uh, let's move on to something else. Let's talk about the uh, the uh, handshake, handshake and high fives of sports. Now, all of us have gone on. Every time we do something great, we give high fives to our buddies, to our friends, to the girls, and whatnot, right? So um, where did that come from? Where did the elaborate handshake come from? Well, there's many different elaborate handshakes. There's a couple where you just, you know, there's two of them where you just uh, slap hands twice, and then you do a little dance with your buddies or with the girl, um, and then you uh, celebrate by jumping in the air. There's a couple times where you don't do handshakes at all, or you do special kind of handshakes where you kneel down and give each other a high five or handshake uh, a couple of times, and then uh, you make up some sort of dance. You know, it's a celebration thing. So it started as a celebration thing. However, it runs much deeper than that. The handshake and the and the high fives and whatnot. If you guys have a certain high five, it's more of a teammate thing. Every player has a high five or a certain uh, celebration dance or a shake for each of their teammates, uh, which is kind of interesting. It's kind of cool. You could say, hey, it's you guys, and that's it, right? Um, it's been going on since the beginning of sports. Um, we had the origin of the high five that started with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, instead of, you know, slapping hands, you know, you give each other a high five or a low five, right? Um and there's other ways. You see it all the time just going out. You know, there's a teacher, I think, in Pennsylvania that has a different handshake for each one of her students. And, um, yeah, so it can be looked upon as a special thing. It's your thing. Um, you know, I remember a player in the NFL once said that uh, that when he got traded to their team, he had to learn 15 different, you know, handshakes and high fives and celebrations for each of his team members. Uh, is something cool to do in sports. It, it, you know, the little things do matter, and it's all, all about that. So, anytime you get a celebration dance going, or anytime you score a touchdown or win the game, you know, no matter if you're in youth football, flag football, high school, um, college, or NFL, it's always a great thing to do the high five. And uh, yeah, so it's, the, it's an elaborate handshake. So. It's great. It's great. I think it's fun. I think it will never go away, and I think uh, it will stick around in sports for uh, years to come. Let's talk about high school football real quick. So, last night, I went to uh, University of Houston. I live in Houston, so I went to University of Houston, and I saw the, uh, I saw the um, private school of Kincaid, the Kincaid Falcons versus the Episcopal Knights in the SPC Championship, the Southwest Preparatory Conference Championship. Um, let's see here. I was at the game. I was rooting for Kincaid because my nephew goes to Kincaid, uh, who's who's uh, actually committed to Texas A&M for baseball. But it says right here, congrats to Coach Steve Les on the win in his retirement. Episcopal played a tough game. You would be missed on the sideline. Um, so yeah, it was a, uh, it was a close game. Um, you know, uh, Episcopal has a great running back, sure to be a college football player. Maybe, you know, I don't know about division one because he's not very tall, but hopefully, you know, maybe division two or division three, his name is Brandon Thomas. And, uh, yeah, no, he did well. He, uh, he ran the ball. They, they, he, he ran it well. He broke for, in the opening minutes, he broke for a long, about 65 yard run to the, to the end zone giving uh, Episcopal the early lead early in the game. And then KK came back in the passing game. and uh, But, you know, 
Episcopal knew what they had, and they had uh, they had Brandon Thomas, so they would throw uh, throw short little dump passes to him or hand it off, and he would run. So uh, is he a college football player? I think so. You know, I, he's not very tall, but he could really, really run, and I think he's maybe Division two or Division three material. Um, this is reported by Texas Sports Nation that – hang on – that the uh, – Episcopal holds off late rally from KK for the SP, SPC football championship. Uh, so, yeah, so KK leading up to the SPC championship, KK defeated St. John's 35 to 21 last week to earn its championship appearance. Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's what's happening. Congratulations to Episcopal on winning the game. Um, yeah, so I'm sure Kincaid will see him next year. Kincaid's always had a strong athletic program. Episcopal has a, has always had a strong athletic program, and, and those two teams meet a lot in the SBC championship game. Um, let's talk about my alma mater for a second, Memorial High School, the Memorial Mustangs. They played against Cy Fair in the last season. They did end up losing uh, against Rivalry Week against Stratford Spartans, but uh, Memorial at Tully Stadium on Saturday – uh, would end up losing the uh, game against Cy Fair, 17 to 27. Memorial end up five and five for the year. Cy Fair was nine and one, uh, and I think the district championships, but Memorial was five and five. And uh, however, Memorial was also five and two in district. That makes them third in district play. So uh, after losing to Cy Fair, they have lost back to back games against Stratford and Cy Fair, but they will still go to the playoffs. Their first playoff game is on the November 11th against the Heights, and that's a noon game. So um, that's my alma mater is Memorial Mustangs. So we'll see what happens there, and uh, good luck to the Memorial Mustangs. Let's talk about the uh, Stratford Spartans for a second. Um, Stratford has also had a pretty good year for the most part. They uh, overall was, uh, I think they were like third or fourth in district. They end up being, I think, Jersey Village 51 to 27. Uh, yeah, they played Jersey Village, end up being a 51 to 27 in an impressive, uh, in an impressive showdown and an impressive win. Um, Stratford, I believe, let me see here. I believe they're in the playoffs. I believe they're in the playoffs. So, yeah, so. Uh, head coach is Todd Ranking. Their state division rank is 138. Their state rank is 370. Uh, district record is 5-1. Overall, they were 6-3. Uh, who they have in the playoffs right now? Um, let's see here. So this is coming up. It says right here, Stratford might play for the bi-monthly district championship. Let's see. Division two by district. I'm sorry, not by monthly. The uh, round one six A Division two by district championship date and team time is set. Uh, One p.m. kickoff time. Let's see here. That's where they play Jersey Village. So yeah, so Stratford will play for the six A Division two by district championship. Um, let's see here. They will play Westbury on Saturday, November 11, 2023, at Tully Stev- Stadium at 11 a.m. Go Spartans. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Stratford will play for the district championship. So, good luck to them, and we'll see what they can do. And that is it for this episode of the Matthew Parrish Show. Uh, 
you guys make sure to hit the subscribe button. It's always a great time here on the Matthew Paris Show. And I'll see you guys very, very soon. We'll talk more sports. All right, you guys take care. Bye.